Welcome to the Center Branch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Father, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come, to move, to minister in the way that only you can, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, it's, it's important that we're hungry for the things of God. Right, not just to come and, and sit and expect to leave the same, because you, you can come and leave the same way that you came. That's not what God has for us. God doesn't, like I said earlier, have us come together like this just to waste our time. There's something he wants to do in our lives to make, make changes. But again, it does, doesn't just happen. There's a hunger and a thirst that God responds to, and you and I have got to stir that hunger and thirst. That's why Paul told Timothy to, to fan into flames, to stir up the gift that God had given him, that you and I have a responsibility to engage and to push distractions aside and to invite the Holy Spirit to come and move in our hearts. And it's important that as a body of believers, we unify around those things, that God's Spirit moves in powerful ways when people are in alignment with one another, where it's not some people just kind of sitting and waiting for service to get over. Some are kind of middle of the road, kind of going through the motions. It's when the day of Pentecost, they were all together, they were unified in one accord and the Spirit of God began to move. So if you and I, if we can all together stir up that hunger and thirst, God, I want a move of your spirit. I want to hear from you. I don't want to go through motions. I want something genuine. I want to receive from you. We set our eyes like that collectively. Then we set the atmosphere for God to do something special. And that's what I want for me. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for you. That we don't just come in here because it's Sunday, and that's what we do on Sunday mornings. We come in here to meet with the presence of God, to to honor him and to worship him and to spend time receiving from him, not just a a religious, traditional going through motions. Amen? Amen? So we've been talking about that on Sunday mornings, talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. We're in this series, The, the Holy Ghost, and we, we've covered a few, different, a few different areas. We'll review just a little bit. We've talked about the first week, just some of the basics about the role and the person of the Holy Spirit. We've said a few times in church, it, it can sometimes be like God the Father, God the Son, and then what's his name? That we, we talk a lot about the first two parts of the Trinity, but there's so much confusion and just kind of almost an avoidance sometimes about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what his role is. Sometimes it's as if people have relegated him as something that's just passed away, just early church, and no longer has a role to play. So we talked about some of that. We said that the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is is God. Just like God the Father is God, just like God the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. It's the presence of God, not just some impersonal force. And one of his ministries, we looked at 2 Corinthians Corinthians 13, 14, is fellowship, that we could know him, that we could walk with him, that we could have real relationship, and that happens through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the strategy of the enemy to bring confusion. Once somebody accepts Jesus as Savior, well, then it may 
makes sense. The next strategy of the enemy would be to bring confusion about the role of the Holy Spirit because God the Father is seated in heaven. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and it's the Holy Spirit. He's the part of the Trinity that is active and moving and leading and guiding and strengthening and giving abilities. The one present in the church today. So if you can get the church to be confused and divided and, and ignorant about the Holy Spirit, then you've just done great damage to what, what the church is called to do and to be. So we talked about those things the first week. The second week in this series, we talked about a second work in the life of a believer after salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. If you were here that Sunday, we tried to sort of categorize it and talk about Two Sundays, breaking it down into two Sundays. Resurrection Sunday, where salvation was made available. Resurrection Sunday, that ministers life, new spiritual life. And then Pentecost Sunday, that, that ministers power, where we can receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We used Mary as an example that when the angel came to her and told her about God's plan that she was going to receive Jesus, she's going to be pregnant and have a son and he's going to sit on the throne of David and reign forever. His kingdom would know no end. That's good news. That was exciting. That was wonderful. But if you remember Mary's response, she thought, well, how can these things be? How in the world am I going to pull this off? And the answer the angel gave her was that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. We compared her situation to those of us who have come to know Jesus, that it's wonderful to experience salvation. Thank God for it. But if we take it seriously, we come into this new kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness, and if we really want to serve God with a sincere heart, it can be a little bit overwhelming, that I'm going to walk in kindness and holiness and righteousness, that my words are going to edify, that I'm going to be an example to people around me. I'm going to advance the kingdom of God, lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I'm going to be a, a harvester, that it's wonderful, but can be overwhelming. And you can think, how in the world am I going to actually pull this off and live that kind of life? Well, God's answer is the same answer he gave Mary, that you need the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and the power of the Most High to overshadow. So there's two gifts. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to his children once we come to know Jesus. So we talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit. We had, I think, 20-some people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues that Sunday, which is uh, amazing, wonderful. If you'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll, we'll pray for people today, and you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, provided that you, you know Jesus as your Savior. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Jonathan spoke, did an outstanding job as always, and he took us through Galatians chapter 5 into Galatians chapter 6 and talked about the fruit of of the Spirit. He talked about walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh, and he talked about fruit is evidence, it's proof or evidence of how you are living and how you're walking. So you can say that you're a spiritual person, spirit-filled believer, walking in the Spirit, and that's good, but is there evidence that lines up with that? Talked about the two natures that we have that are constantly in disagreement, the, the sinful nature, and then that the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit that's been recreated on the inside and talked about the importance of having fruit that's consistent with people who are filled with the Spirit of God. So we're going to continue to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence here this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to our hearts, to bring revelation, spirit of wisdom, flood our hearts with light so we can know you more. Lord, I pray you'd give us eyes to see, Bless us with ears to hear, Father, with 
hearts that are like good soil, that receive your word and it produces a harvest in our lives. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. So we'll read the rest of that verse in a couple of minutes, but there's a lot that we can talk about just from that. This is in the, the creation account. The rest of this chapter, if we took time to read it, it would be when God takes a rib from, from Adam, creates a wife, creates Eve, creates the marriage covenant, if we read leading up to this chapter, God, God has created the world. He said, let there be light and created the plants and the trees and the animals and, and mountains and valleys and all those, all those kinds of things. And as he's creating things, he's saying, man, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. But now we come to a situation where God has created everything. He's created man and put him in a wonderful situation. There's no sin. It's absolute paradise. Everything is wonderful. But now he identifies a problem problem and says, it's not good. As good as everything is, as wonderful the situation I've put him in, as wonderful as what I've created is, it's not good that man is alone. And he creates marriage. So there's a lot we could talk about with marriage and, and we take time to do that, but that's not what we're talking about today. But marriage really is a picture, a parallel, uh, an analogy to help us understand our relationship with God. And so there's things he's creating the marriage covenant that we can learn about our walk with the Lord. He says it's not good that man should be alone. Now we can kind of draw a parallel between this original creation account and the new creation account. That just like God created a wonderful situation and put man in, in that situation, when you and I come to know Jesus, that, that is the new creation. The gospels are the story of a new creation being formed and made. And as wonderful as the kingdom of God is, as wonderful it is to come out of the kingdom of darkness and be placed in the kingdom of God's dear son, to be washed clean and forgiven and made new and made righteous and all of that, and God puts us in the new creation in that wonderful situation. Similarly, God looks at us and says, it's not good. As wonderful as this kingdom is, it's not good for man to be alone. And God sending us the Holy Spirit to be with us is part of the, the solution to that problem. Just like creating a wife for Adam, giving, giving us the Holy Spirit, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is solving the problem. It's not good for you and I to be alone. God does not want us to live alone. As we serve him, as we pursue his kingdom, he does not want us to be alone. Hebrews chapter 13, it says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God's desire is for his sons and daughters not to be alone. And Jesus talks about that when he's telling his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, the verses we'll read, it's, it's part of the same discourse or the same message it spans John 13, 14, 15, 16. The same message Pastor Jonathan referred to last week when he talked about Jesus telling his disciples as he's preparing them, he's gonna return to the Father. He's gonna send the Holy Spirit. They're worried. He says, listen, it's actually for your benefit. Better than having me here with you in bodily form. A better option is that I return to the Father and give you the Holy Spirit. 
You know him now, he's with you, but you're gonna know he's in you. He's gonna come and dwell in you. It's the same, same message, just a different part of it. John chapter 14, we'll start reading in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you stranded. I'm not going to leave you where you have to rely on yourself. What was, what was the way he was not going to leave his disciples alone as orphans? I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you in an orphan-like situation. How is he going to solve that problem? I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. I'm going to send you another helper to come. He's going to be not just with you. He's going to be in you. So Jesus solving the problem of people being on their own, being alone in this life, he was sending them the Holy Spirit, a significant ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is an enormous deal is that he prevents you and I from being alone. It's very simple, but it's very important. You and I are not alone. Sometimes when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal things, we can become so concerned and focused on outward expressions or what are really just responses to the presence of the Holy Spirit, whether it be goosebumps or chills, people falling down, people taking off running, and those all have their place. And I'm not saying they are bad, people crying, people laughing, but Sometimes we do that at the expense of really focusing on what Jesus said the role of the Holy Spirit was going to be. And it's fine to do those things when it's, when it's appropriate, but Jesus never said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so you can get goosebumps and cold chills and have warm, fuzzy feelings and all that. Again, I'm not, I'm not against that, but we need to focus on what did Jesus say the ministry of the Holy Spirit was. And here he's saying, I'm sending him to you so you won't be, orphan, you won't be alone. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit is is enormously important. And to understand he is with me, he's in me, the greater one lives on the inside of me and I'm not alone. That, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, again, I know we've talked about it, but the importance of the fellowship, koinonia, intimacy with the Holy Spirit, that is a significant focus of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's important to know that you're not alone. It changes the way that you approach situations. It changes you emotionally. It changes your mindset when you know that you're not alone, even in the natural. There are things that would be terrifying. It would be an awful situation for you. But if you had someone else with you, it would change the dynamics completely. I don't know what it might be for you. It could be different for all of us. Maybe for you, being plopped down in a forest, in the middle of the forest in the dark would be terrifying for you. But if you could have a good buddy with you, all of a sudden, now, now it's a camping trip and it's something you take time off work to go and do. Just adding someone else into the mix when you're not alone in that situation, it changes it incredibly. Maybe it's something that you enjoy, a sunset or being at the beach or something like that, that you can't even really properly enjoy it unless you have someone there with you to, to appreciate and to share that moment with. Being alone is something God does not want for us and he's given us his own Holy Spirit to dwell with us to ensure that you and I are never alone. When I was growing up, one of the houses we lived in had a basement that I hated going down in. Maybe it was just the age I was probably seven years old or so, six or seven. 
And we had a freezer in the basement that a lot of times my mom, when she'd be making something, she would send me down on an, an assignment to go and retrieve something. Hey, would you go down and get some frozen corn out of the freezer or something like that? And it was one of those basements where you can't just flip the lights on. You had to actually go down into the basement, go down the stairs, go like halfway across the basement and try to find one of those strings hanging down. You know what I'm talking about? Just like walking around swimming, trying to find the, the, the string. And then you could turn the light on. And I, I, I hated going in that basement. I was terrified. In my mind, I can still remember. I, I knew there was monsters down there. I knew that. Somehow I always thought that there are people hiding in the basement. There's bad guys. There's like this weird family that hides in the boxes. I just had all kinds of weird things in my mind. I hate it. It was terrifying. So sometimes I would convince my younger sister. So if I'm six or seven, she's like three or four. I would convince her to go into the basement with me. And if I could get her to accompany me, it changed everything. Instead of being terrifying, it's just a trip down the steps to grab something out of the freezer and right back up, up we go. Not that I, not that I thought my three-year-old sister is going to defend me from monsters and bad guys and all of that, but it removed being alone and it changed everything for me. Now that maybe that's not a great illustration or a great analogy because I'm not talking about us having a three-year-old girl with us all the time, but the spirit of God himself living on the inside of us, that if we, if we can get that settled in our hearts, in our minds, it should affect everything about us that whatever situation I'm in, whatever I'm, uh, I'm experiencing, whatever's coming up on the horizon, I know that I'm not facing it alone. So the anxiety, the worry, the the open door that the enemy uses to bring in fear and concern and twist my mindset, get me in despair. That door has been closed when I know I'm not, I'm not alone. And it's not just having God's spirit with you. You've got to know that you're not alone. That's why Paul told the Corinthian church, don't you know, don't you realize that you are the temple? You're the dwelling place of the spirit of God, that he's with you and he's in you. It wasn't enough that they were the temple. It was important that they realized that they knew that they were the temple because just knowing it didn't provide enough benefit or just, just experiencing it wasn't enough benefit. They had to have a knowledge of the reality. to know, You've got to realize, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the greater one dwells on the inside of you. God's presence is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Jesus said he's come to abide with you. A lot of times we, we override the Bible by believing our feelings more than we believe what's written in God's word. So when, when people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it, it's a wonderful experience for a lot of people. Thank God for it. They have all, all kinds of sensations, of power, of free, freedom, of, of lightness. Uh, people describe it all kinds of ways, and that's wonderful. But then... They equate those feelings with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when those feelings leave, if those feelings leave, they make the assumption the Holy Spirit left with those feelings and he doesn't return until the next time they get hair standing up on the back of their neck or, or whatever it happens to be. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he sent his spirit with us to abide with us, not from check in from time to time, to abide, to dwell with us forever. That once he comes, he's not leaving. He's come to be with us and never abandon us. That would recreate us as orphans. And the Holy Spirit would be doing the very thing that Jesus said he's not going to do. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to solve the problem of you being alone. If the Holy Spirit withdrew, he'd be undoing what Jesus sent him to do. You are not alone and you've got to know it, know it, know it. Just go ahead and say, I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not alone. When you face situations, it, it changes your attitude. It, it closes 
the opportunity of the enemy to, to create so many things in our lives when you know I am not, I'm not alone. And manifestations are great. We'll, we'll talk about those things, but they are the result of the indwelling presence of God. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. When you and I think and act and talk like we are alone, you're making the Holy Spirit out to be too irresponsible to do the thing that God sent him to do. When you have a mindset, you feel like, man, I'm alone in this. Man, I'm approaching this. I just feel so alone. You're not alone. God has taken extreme measures to ensure, to solve that problem. He knows it's not good that you're alone. That's why, why he sent you the Holy Spirit to solve that problem. And the Holy Spirit is not bad at doing his job. He's great at doing his job. But you and I have got to buy into it and believe. Know that you are not alone. You're not alone. There is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what we believe about the Holy Spirit if we don't believe that he's with us. If he's just out there in space somewhere floating around, we can believe a lot of great things about his, his power and his ability, but it doesn't do us any good until, until we know that he's with us and his, his residing place is in me. I've been made one with the Spirit of God through the work of Jesus. I can't draw on the Holy Spirit's wisdom. I can't draw on his guidance. I can't draw on his power. I can't draw on his help until I trust his fellowship. And he's good at fellowship. He's good at fellowship. Not everybody's good at fellowship. The Holy Spirit's good at fellowship. That's important for us to know too. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll ask someone from the church to grab a cup of coffee. I'll just say, hey, would you, would you be willing to grab a cup of coffee sometimes to meet up? And I don't know if it's just part of being a pastor or maybe it's something I'm doing wrong in my approach or something that's off in my personality, but sometimes people will get nervous. They'll think something's wrong, that I, I want, I'm gonna say something bad to them, that I'm gonna kick them out of the church or you know, call out some sin in their life or, or, or something. And so sometimes I'll try to alleviate that and, and tell them, hey, I've got no agenda I just want to. I just want to meet. Just want to have coffee. Just want to fellowship. I just want to connect with you. Just want to. Just want to get to know you. That, that's it. Grab coffee. I just like to fellowship. Right now, imagine if I did that. I, I asked you. I said, "Hey, would you be willing to get a cup of coffee sometime? No agenda. Just want to fellowship. Just want to talk with you, hear from you." And so you said, yeah, sure, we can do that. And so we met for coffee one morning. We're at the restaurant or coffee shop, whatever it is, and we get our coffee. We sit down at the table. We sit down, and I immediately pull out my phone. And I'm staring at my phone. I'm just scrolling through stuff, looking at old pictures of my kids and kind of reminiscing to myself. I'm scrolling through Instagram. I'm playing Candy Crush. I never look up from my phone. Every once in a while, I'll just kind of look around, but I never look at you. You're trying awkwardly to make conversation, but I'm barely, barely participating. I'll just kind of grunt every once in a while. Mm, mm. And just, I mean, you're uncomfortable. You can't get a response out of me. Would you leave that encounter thinking, he's really good at fellowship? No, you say, that was terrible. That was so uncomfortable and so awkward that if I asked you to meet for coffee again, you would probably come up with some excuse, some reason to, to avoid that situation because you know, man, he's not very good at it. Just, it's, I, I don't like being in that situation. Now, when we 
think of the Holy Spirit as being awkward and clumsy, and even though he's sent to, to help us and, and be fellowship, fellowship with us, when we think of it as awkward and clumsy and hard to get an answer out of and hard to talk to, then just like you would avoid having coffee with me, we can be standoffish and not really engage in, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and develop that relationship with him. So it's important that you and I know that the Holy Spirit is good at fellowship. He's good and he's great. He's excellent. He is the best. He is the best at fellowship. So we're free to spend time with him and know him and be known by, by him. Develop relationship. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit is important. And fellowship with the Holy Spirit is something that you can't fake. You can fake a lot of things. You can fake on a Sunday morning. You can come in and out of, out of here. And you can fake being holy. You can fake being happily married. You, you can fake all kinds of things and have everybody fooled. You, you can't fake fellowship with the Holy Spirit because you can tell when someone has fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You, you, can, you can sense it somehow. There's a, a freshness. There's a sweetness. They, they, they care, they're carrying the presence of God and they, and they know it. You can't fake fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and he uses, he uses this uh, analogy, this parable of 10 virgins that were going out to meet a bridegroom. They're going out to, to wait for him and wait for his arrival. And they take lamps to meet him. And it says that there's five foolish ones and five wise ones. And the difference between the wise and the foolish is that the wise, they brought their lamp, but they also brought a supply of oil for their lamp. Let, let me read a few verses from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, I'll start reading in verse six. Verse six, so they're out, they're waiting, they've fallen asleep. Verse six, and at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So oil in the Bible is often a picture of the Holy Spirit, the, the anointing. So the difference in these women, they'd all had an experience with the Holy Spirit. They all had had oil at one point. But the difference was some of them, the wise ones, kept a supply. They kept a flow. They didn't let themselves run dry. So it's not enough to have had a moment encounter with the Holy Spirit, as wonderful as that is. It's not enough just to have been in a, an intense service a couple of years ago or whatever the story is. It's not enough to have those experiences on their own or have those moments on their own. A wise man or woman of God keeps themselves, keeps a supply, keeps fellowship, keeps a flow, keeps the presence of their Holy Holy Spirit as an ongoing, and it's something that can't be faked. When they said, hey, why don't you just give us some of your oil? They said, we, we can't do that. The only way to do it is you've got to go to the source for yourself. It's not something that can be manipulated, manufactured. You have to have genuine, genuine encounter, genuine relationship with the Holy Spirit. A couple of ways you can develop your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Well, very simple. One, just to acknowledge he's with you, to know that you're not alone. Don't, don't behave and act and think like you're alone in whatever it is that you're in. His spirit is with you. Proverbs chapter three says to acknowledge the Lord, to acknowledge him in all of your ways. And you can do that with the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge him. 
acknowledge that he's with you. You're not, don't, you, it's, it's offensive to act like you're alone when he's been sent to solve the problem of you being alone. It's one of the ways you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Just a- acknowledge him. He's with you. Develop fellowship with him. In your prayer time, you can develop fellowship with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of different aspects of prayer. When we start next year, we have a series that we're going to do. It talks about prayer, but there's a lot of different ways to, to pray. There's prayers of petition. There's, there's warring in prayer where you're bringing requests. You're casting down strongholds. And obviously the Holy Spirit is involved in that kind of prayer. And that's an important way to pray. But there's also just fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Just talking with him. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Just enjoying his presence. Enjoying his company. Just becoming aware that he's with you. And enjoying that he's with you, listening for his voice, inviting him to speak to you. Just fellowship. That needs to be a part of our prayer life where we cultivate, just like you would with someone else, you have fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Again, Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him, suitable for him. I'll make him a helper just right for him. So it's not good that man would be alone. When when Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, he sent him to solve that problem. And he says, I'm going to make him a helper that is just right. Again, we're looking at the the parallel between that, that account of God creating the marriage and Jesus sending us the Holy Spirit and the new creation. I will make him a helper just right for him. Jesus said this, I read it before, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit is sent to solve the problem of being alone, but also to minister to you as a helper. God has sent you a helper. God knows that life can be tough. God knows that having a family can be difficult. God knows that raising children has its challenges. God knows that there's struggles that people encounter financially. God knows that there can be obstacles as you work through life. Things happen unexpectedly. God is aware of that. God, there's an acknowledgement that people need help. That's why God has sent the helper to be with us. That you and I have a helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us all the time. But we've got to make room for him to have his role in our lives. You know, I've talked to some people that they're Christians, they love the Lord, but they're not so sure about the Holy Spirit. And they'll say things like, you know what, actually, I'm, I'm doing just fine without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to continue on. I'm doing fine. And they excuse that they don't need a helper because they're doing fine. Well, God doesn't want you to do just fine. He wants you to do above and beyond. He wants you to do extraordinary. So don't dismiss your need for the Holy Spirit as a helper by looking at your life and saying, eh, it's fine. That's not what God wants for you. God wants extraordinary, extraordinary fruit, extraordinary joy, extraordinary peace, supernatural results. And to rise to that level, you do need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You need a helper to come and work with you, to walk with you, to guide you and help you produce results that you can't produce on your own. You're not alone and you need a helper. And thank God he's given you the Holy Spirit to minister to you as a helper. Mark 16, verse 20, talking about the disciples, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. It's the last verse of the gospel of Mark. Jesus has ascended, died, rose again, ascended back to heaven. The disciples are sent out. It says they went about preaching. There's signs. It says the Lord was working with them. The disciples went to do what they had been sent to do. 
and the Lord through the Holy Spirit was working with them, causing what they were doing to be effective and fruitful. Supernatural results. The Lord working with them. He was their helper. That's not just for people that lived in Bible days. That's still what the Holy Spirit has been sent to do in your life today. There would still be stories of the Lord working with them. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, the Lord working with them, helping him to make business decisions, guiding and directing him. The Lord working with her, helping her to close the business deal, helping her to make the sale. The Lord working with them, helping them to raise their children. The Lord working with them. Whatever it is that God has called you to put your hand to, you've got to make room for the Holy Spirit to be a helper in that situation. You're going to encounter problems. You're going to need help. And you have the helper dwelling on the inside of you. Amen. Imagine if my wife asked one of my daughters to go to the store for her. Thanksgiving is this week. We need all kinds of different groceries. We need a, a turkey and, and rolls and pumpkins got to fit in there somewhere. I don't know. We, there's just a whole list of stuff that we're going to need for Thanksgiving. So she asks one of my daughters, hey, would you go to the store? Here, here's a list. And then she looks to me and says, would you mind going with her? I'm just going to help her make sure everything goes all right. Make sure you get everything and, and bring it all back. And I say, sure. And I go as, as helper, right? And so we go to the grocery store and we are getting everything off the list, filling the cart, and we get in line at the checkout. And the closer we get to our turn, to put our stuff on the little conveyor belt and, and check out, my, my daughter starts getting nervous, starts wringing her hands. We're getting closer and closer, starting to put our stuff up on the conveyor belt. Now she's pale, and even the cashier notices, like, hey, are, are you okay? And as the cashier reaches for the first item to scan it, my daughter says, oh, you know what, actually, we'll, we'll just put that back. Um, actually, we'll just put that back as well. You know what, actually, I, I don't think we're going to need that. And slowly, she just kind of starts loading everything back into the car, nervous that we're not actually going to be able to purchase. She finally apologizes to the cashier. I'm so sorry. This is embarrassing. We're just going to put everything back. We're not, we don't actually aren't going to be able to buy everything. Now, who would that be offensive to? Who would that be embarrassing for? Who would that be insulting? Not, not just for my daughter, it would be insulting to me as the one that's been sent to help her and make sure that she's able to do what she was assigned to do. If I'm standing there and I'm able to help her when she doesn't give me the opportunity, she's humiliating me. She's making me out to seem like I don't have the ability to help her in that situation. And people do that all the time, that they will, they will work to do what God's called them to do up until they get to the end of what they are able to do in their own strength and then start backing away. But really, that's the place where the Holy Spirit is able to step in and do what he was sent to do. That we, we cut off the ability of the Holy Spirit to be our helper by never stepping beyond where we need help. And the Holy Spirit is such a gentleman and so gracious and gentle that in that analogy, he would just, he would just follow her out. It's not, he doesn't force people to do things. What things are you called to do that God has laid on your heart to do that you've got a stirring? I should do this. I should go there. I should say that. I should start this thing. But you also think in the natural, I, I don't have the ability. I think I could do a couple of those things. I don't think I could carry that out. When you don't engage, you're, you're cutting off the Holy Spirit's ability to help you and produce results 
that are beyond what you can produce on your own, which is the very kind of fruit that God wants to bring about through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that's the kind of fruit that brings the Father glory. Not what you can muster up on your own, but to have fruit growing in your life that people have to acknowledge there's something else. There's a force working. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But if you and I won't go beyond where we can go on our own, we don't make room for the Holy Spirit to carry out his ministry in our lives. The Holy Spirit has been sent as a helper. The Holy Spirit's a helper. God wants your life to to be fruitful. The way that you minister to people, the, the joy that you have, the peace that you have, the power that you carry, Beyond, beyond what's natural, beyond what's natural, supernatural, he's giving you the Holy Spirit. I've made a rule for myself when it comes to pregnant women that I never will acknowledge someone being pregnant until they first acknowledge that they are, they are pregnant. I just, I won't do it. I've heard too many stories of... I'm pouring my heart out up here. That's the first time anyone's applauded. I've heard too many stories of men asking a woman, hey, how far along are you? When's your due date? And they, I'm, not, I'm not pregnant. And to me, that, that is, I, I get, ugh, I, that makes me feel uncomfortable even saying it. So I don't care how pregnant a woman is. If I meet someone new at the church and they're clearly pregnant, if it seems like I'm rude because I never acknowledge, I don't care. I don't care if they're going into labor. <laughs> Unless they mention it first, I'm going to pretend like I'm not aware. They could be starting the Lamas breathing. They could be crowning. I'm not saying, I'm going to pretend like it's not. I, I don't, I, I'm oblivious until they acknowledge it. But when you see a pregnant woman or a woman with a newborn baby, <laughs> you know, just, just a month or so ago, there's a, a lady from our church that was about a week out from having a baby. And so I, she, it had been acknowledged, I was well aware of it. But even in that situation, I said, hey, are you getting excited? I knew the due date was coming up. And she didn't, she didn't hear me. So she turned her head and said, what? And, my heart sank. I thought I was going to throw up. I thought I've crossed the line that I promised I'd never cross. She just didn't hear me and wanted to know what I said. But when I said, hey, are you excited about your due date? And she says, what? I thought, I've, I've done it. Oh, no. I've... But when you, see, when you see a pregnant woman, a woman with a small baby, you, there's a lot of things you don't know about the situation. There's lots you don't know. But one thing that you do know, just from observing, Someone else is involved in that. You can just see a a pregnant woman at the grocery store, no man around. You don't know if boyfriend, husband, but you know there's someone. You know someone else is involved in it. She she did not get that way on, on her own. Again, you might not know the details, but you know there was another force at work. Her situation, her results, the fruit that she is bearing is not the fruit. It's not the situation. It's not the result of someone that keeps themselves in solitude. You know something else has been working. Someone else is involved because that person is incapable of becoming that way on their own. That's the way that God wants our 
our lives to be through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That even though they can't see the Holy Spirit, just by looking at your life, people will know there's, there's something else. There's another force at work here. I know he could not be that way. I know she can't be that kind of wife. I know what that couple has come through. I, I, I know what they've gone through. I know what they've had to experience. Whatever it is, I know that they couldn't have been so sweet, so loving, so full of joy, so faithful. Whatever it is on their own, there's another force at work. Now, if, if I were to pick up this table right now, and I won't, we'll just assume that I, I can. If I picked it up, you, you might not be impressed. You, you would, that would be reasonable. A guy that size, that age, he, he should be able to pick up a small table. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think, man, what's going on here? But if somehow I were able to stand next to the platform and pick up the whole platform, then you, you would have to start thinking, what other force is going on here? There's something else. It's, I know it can't just be, be him. And that's the way the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to function in our lives when we make room for him to be our helper, to bring forth fruit in our lives that people will see. That's what brings God glory. When people see your life, sure, you can muster up some kindness, some joy, but a super natural joy. No, nobody has that kind of peace. And what's going on in the world? What's going on in our country right now? To see people sail through with a smile on their face and such a sweet disposition, that, that's not normal peace. That's the kind of fruit that God wants us to bear. When people, that, that's what Jesus had. In John chapter three, Nicodemus came to him under the cover of night and said, teacher, I know that you've come from God. How? Because no man can do the things that you do unless God is with him. He couldn't see God, God the Father. He just saw Jesus and the results of his life and was able to draw the conclusion that this has got to be God. God's got to be working in his life. There's, there's something else going on here other than just this man. That's the way God wants it to be for you. Not for your glory, for his glory. And it's the help, the help, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can't think in terms of just what you're capable of. You're, you're cutting off his ministry. You grieve the Holy Spirit that way. What does he want to bring forth? Fruit that you can't bring forth on your own. Ministry that you can't bring forth on your own. Impact and results. It's not what you're capable of. So when you look at situations, you, you can't just look at it in the natural. It's going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Know that he's with you. Know that he's in you. Know that he's for you. That the greater one, greater than any situation, greater than any circumstance, greater than the spirit of the world, greater than the devil, greater than anything. He lives on the inside of you. To know it. To, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. The spirit of God is with me and he never leaves me. I don't care what feelings I have or don't have. God's spirit will never withdraw from me. To know that and to know he's not just there to hang out. He's there to help you. To help you. To be your help. Jesus shared a secret in John chapter 15. He's explaining to his disciples. Again, it's part of that same discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, where he's talking about the Holy Spirit and his ministry in our lives. And he said, listen, I'm, it's like I'm a vine. I'm a vine. So you see my life, and you see the results, and you see the impact you see the joy and the peace and you, you see the way my life is affecting people. Let me, let me let you in on a secret. I'm a vine, but my father, my father's a gardener. There's a force you can't, you see me. You don't see him, but let me tell you, he's the one, he takes care of me. That's consistent with what he said other places. Jesus said, I don't say anything unless the father first speaks it to me. I don't do anything unless the father tells me to do it. So you see the results, but hey, there's another force at work in what you're seeing. The unseen part is the ministry of the Father. You get to see me. I'm, I'm a vine. 
And then what's amazing is he took it a step for, further and he said, that's what I want for you. The way that you, you see me and what's going on, there's an unseen force. I want the same thing in your life. Let me read to you John 15, verse five. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. So Jesus is the vine. Father's the gardener. Takes care of Jesus the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So what are you? What role do we play in this? Branch, 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 right? You mind grab me a branch? I asked my daughter to bring me a branch. I was imagining something a little smaller than this. First service, I, I, that's what I said. I said, would you chew this thing off a tree? Just, I'm a good dad asking my daughter to drive a car. <laughs> I imagine it roped to the roof of the car like a Christmas tree on the way. But this is a branch. And in this analogy, Jesus says, that's what you are and that's what I am, a branch. What, what can this branch do? Oops, it can smack a microphone pretty good. In the hands of my mother, it makes a pretty good device for punishment. But on, on its own, I mean, this, this is it. It's a branch, right? It, it can't grow an apple or a peach or a pear. That, that is impossible. The bra a branch can't do it. It, it. We could wait a million years waiting for it to produce. It can't produce any of those things. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And listen to what he says. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. That there's a possibility for just a, a little old branch like you, a little branch like me, that our lives can begin to, to produce amazing fruit. But it comes about as it's being connected, the life in Jesus flowing through us and us bearing, bearing fruit that we have no business bearing other than the life of Jesus flowing through us, helping us to do, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But he says this, apart from me, if we abide in him, we bear much, but apart from me, we can do nothing. That's what we've witnessed here today with this branch. It can't do anything. You and I can't do anything on our own. But if we'll let him be our helper, if we'll abide in him, if we'll keep ourselves full like those wise virgins, a supply of the spirit of God in my life, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I know that you're with me. You can't fellowship with someone that you're not convinced is even in the room with you. I know that you're with me. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I know you're my helper. Begin to produce fruit. Begin to produce things that give God. Verse eight, a couple verses later, it says, this brings my Father much glory, that you bear, you bear fruit. You bear much fruit that my life is producing, your life is producing things that cause people to scratch their head. And the only conclusion they can come to there's another force at work here. It's got to be something else. That's what God wants for each one of us. The help of the Holy Spirit. The help of the Holy Spirit. Partnership. Apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. That means I need to partner with him. Just like the disciples, the Lord working with them. The Lord working with them. There's a partnership. And you and I, even though we're the seen part of the partnership, we're the least important in the equation but he's just looking for an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit be our helper. We're gonna make room for him. Here's what I'd like to do this morning. If you were here the first week of this series, we talked about 
inviting the Holy Spirit. We talked about praying the Lord's Prayer and understanding, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Not just as advancing the kingdom of God. We need to advance the kingdom of God. But in the Lord's Prayer, let, let your kingdom come. Your kingdom, of course, it's the, the reign of God, but it's the influence of God. If you're here, maybe you remember us talking about that. So understanding, let your kingdom come. God, bring me under your influence. Holy Spirit, bring me under your influence. Just praying like that. Lord, let me come under your influence. Let me come under, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Your kingdom come, understanding it in those terms. But sometimes when we pray, let your kingdom come, we can approach it with a mindset. We're saying, God, let, let your kingdom come. Like we're pleading with God. God, would you please just let your kingdom come already? What is the holdup? Please, would you allow your kingdom to come? Like we're twisting his arm. We're trying to get him. God, please let your kingdom come. That, that's not the way that we're supposed to approach it. Of course, God wants his kingdom to come. Of course, God wants his will to be done. It's his will. That's what, that, it's what he wants. So it's not something we have to convince him of. It's let as in you and I are the ones letting. Let, let your, we're giving permission. We're inviting. Again, the Holy Spirit doesn't barge his way in and force. Let your kingdom, Lord, let your influence roll over me. Let your kingdom come. Come and have your way in me. I allow it. I invite you, Holy Spirit. Come, let your kingdom come. And we're the ones inviting God to come and speak and move and reveal that we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. There's a yielding and allowing I yield myself to you, Spirit of God. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.